Friends, today we begin a seven-part Lenten sermon series on the I Am Sayings of Jesus in the Gospel according to John. Most will focus on statements in which Jesus uses a predicate nominative. For example, in today's text, I am the light of the world. Jesus' Hebrew hearers would immediately think of God's self-revelation to Moses at the burning bush when God revealed God's personal name as the verb to be. The longer form is, I am who I am. The shortened form is simply, I am. In Hebrew, I am is pronounced ani hua, and in Greek, ego eimi. New Testament scholar Ethelbert Stauffer wrote of the I am phrase, it was the boldest declaration. This meant where I am, there God is. There God lives and speaks, calls, asks, acts, decides, loves, chooses, forgives, rejects, suffers, and dies. Nothing bolder can be said or imagined. Light is something most of us take for granted, and yet it was only on October 21st, 1879, that Thomas Alva Edison invented the electric light bulb. He struggled for some time to find an effective filament for the incandescent lamp. Working without sleep for two or three nights, he finally succeeded in making a filament using a carbonized cotton fiber, which he placed into a vacuum-sealed bulb. After turning on the current, he reported, the sight we had so long desired to see finally met our eyes. An apocryphal story is that about 3 a.m. on the very morning Edison succeeded in constructing the first electric light bulb, he joyfully bounded out of his laboratory and into his home, up the stairs and into the bedroom in which his wife was sleeping. Darling, look, he shouted. Mrs. Edison woke up and said, Will you shut off that light and come to bed? <laughs> Speaking of light bulbs, building on Dale's uh, reflections about light bulbs last Sunday, uh, let's look at vocations instead. How many lawyers does it take to change a light bulb? Well, how many can you afford? How many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the bulb has to want to change. How many bureaucrats does it take to change a light bulb? 45. One to change the bulb and 44 to do the paperwork. Well, with that introduction, let's hear our text today from John's Gospel, chapter uh, 8, verse 12, and then some verses from chapter 9 as well, as Gail Burson reads for us. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9, 1 through 9. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. 
He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. John 9, 39-41 Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. Jesus claims in this famous text, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus made that statement according to John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths. In addition to a fall agricultural harvest celebration, theologically, that feast celebrated God's guidance of the people of Israel through the Sinai wilderness with, with light and the gift of the Ten Commandments and the law of God as an expression of God's will. If you remember, after leaving Egypt during the wilderness wanderings, after dark, God guided the people by a pillar of fire, which went before them to light their way. To remember God's guidance through both the pillar of fire and the law of God, on the first night of the Feast of Booths in the court of women in the temple in Jerusalem, four giant golden torches were lit. They were similar in size probably to the giant Olympic torch we've all seen at the beginning of those games in modern times. Each of the four candles included a large golden bowl filled with oil and a wick made from worn out priests' underwear. When each of the torches were lit, it is said all Jerusalem reflected its light. It was no coincidence, coincidence then that Jesus chose the very last day of the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles to stand in the court of the women where the torches had been lit earlier but were no longer and claimed, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. What was Jesus claiming when he said, I am the light of the world? I think he had three basic things in mind. First, Jesus is claiming to be closely associated with God, the creator, the giver of life. Seeing the light 
is a phrase which sometimes can mean in scripture being alive or being born. In the prologue to his gospel, the writer identifies the pre-existent Christ with the eternal word or message of God, which became flesh in the person of Jesus. Now, it is through that divine word that God made all things. So John teaches that the pre-existent divine word, which later became enfleshed in the person of Christ Jesus, was God's instrument of creation and is thus one with the author of life. Now, we all know that light is essential for life. Plants are unable to convert starch to sugar, the process of photosynthesis without light. Humans need vitamin D and exposure to the sun is one way that our bodies make vitamin D. So without light, the earth would be essentially lifeless. We also need light emotionally. One of the newer psychological disorders is called seasonal affective disorder or SAD. It's a depression some people experience who live without sufficient light. And the therapy is very simple. Sit under the, in the sun or under a full spectrum light. Jesus intends to teach here that we need the light he provides for good spiritual health. Without the light of Christ, we are in spiritual darkness. And just like those four torches in the Jerusalem temple, Jesus brings light to our lives. So light connects Jesus with the creator and reminds us that just as we need light for life, we need Jesus Christ for abundant life. Second, light is used in scripture to, des to describe salvation or rescue from danger. For that reason, conversion is sometimes described as illumination. In John chapter 9, as you just heard in the passage Gail read for us, Jesus heals a man born blind and claims again in that context to be the light of the world. The Pharisees thought the so-called healing was a hoax. They harassed the man who was formerly blind, hoping to prove Jesus was a charlatan. And near the end of Jesus' encounter with the formerly blind man, he comes to faith in Jesus. And then Jesus comments, I came into this world for judgment so that those who, who do not see may see, like this man. And those who do see, that is, who admit no spiritual need, may become blind. So in that context, friends, seeing means salvation. As the light of the world, Jesus functions as a rescue worker, our savior. Ralph Shanks is a former parishioner of mine from Novato who is an expert on lighthouses and the U.S. Lifesaving Service, the forerunner of our modern U.S. Coast Guard. I learned from Ralph that lighthouses have two primary purposes, to direct mariners safely in and out of harbors, and secondly, to help them avoid navigational hazards like reefs or shoals. He also informed me that each lighthouse has its own distinctive flashing pattern so that when you see a, a beam from a lighthouse, you know exactly where you are. In Ralph's book, The U.S. Lifesaving Service, Heroes, Rescues, and Architecture of the Early Coast Guard, he describes the approaches to San Francisco Bay and the Redwood Coast between here and the Oregon border as a large and hazardous maritime graveyard. Steam schooners by 1900 were the most common vessel used in this area, taking on cargo at unprotected coves 
where redwood and Douglas fir lumber was loaded from high cliffs by chutes and cables, as for example, near Fort Ross. Ralph writes, redwood coast steam schooners had an amazingly high mortality rate on a dangerous shore with only two safe harbors in hundreds of miles. Life-saving stations north of San Francisco along this treacherous coastline included and still include Point Bonita, Point Reyes, Arena Cove, and at Humboldt Bay. Now, what prevented even more of those schooners from being claimed by the Redwood Coast? The lighthouses which shone the way, warning mariners where they were and what lie ahead. Jesus claims to be that sort of beacon or guiding light, rescuing us from the danger and darkness of sin and evil, guiding us into a safe, saving relationship with God through himself. So light is a metaphor for life, and it links Jesus with God, the creator, the one through whom, as the pre-incarnate Christ, God brought all things into being. Secondly, it's a, a symbol for salvation and the salvation Jesus offers. Third, when he claims to be light of the world, Jesus is uh, also claiming to be the revelation of God's truth. The psalmist speaks of God's law as a revelation of God's light. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, writes the psalmist. As God's truth, light guides the people and makes God's will visible. So when Jesus claimed to be the light of the world, he's claiming to be the incarnation of God's truth. Notice that Jesus doesn't simply claim to know or to teach the truth, but to embody the truth, to incarnate the truth in his own person and ministry. Jesus is saying, follow me, just as the children of Israel followed the pillar of fire by night through the wilderness. Follow me, just as the law of God has guided you to know God's will. As God has guided you in the past, so I will guide you into the future. In this pandemic period, friends, with uncertainty in the realms of public health, employment and the economy, race relations and the, the political future of our republic, we need Christ's light, Christ's guidance, Christ's salvation, and truth more than ever. I think this text has a final implication, a challenge for each one of us. It's not enough to acknowledge Jesus as the light of the world, as one with God the Creator, as Savior, and as the incarnation of God's truth. We are called to become bearers of the light of Christ to others. Jesus tells the crowd in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It is our mission as ambassadors for Christ to let the light of Christ shine through us so that others may see Christ in us and become themselves children of light. Please join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, you created all things through your divine word who became flesh in the person of Christ Jesus, whom you sent to be for us the light of the world. We give you thanks for the guidance and salvation he brings to our lives and to our darkened world. By your spirit, allow each of us to receive Christ and become children of light, 
so that our lives might reflect and bring others to the light of Christ, in whose holy name we pray. Amen.